Allison. I'm really glad that you could meet with me tonight because, you know, Easter season is upon us and sometimes that kind of surfaces some self-reflection, some ethical questions. And, you know, I do have a question I need to check in with you on. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to answer. As you know, we both love the Easter candy season that's upon us and we're taking a lot of that in. You know, some might say I'm doing Ronald Reagan cosplay with the amount of jelly beans I'm eating, but just need your answer on this definitive. I will take this as truth. Can vegetarians eat peeps? There's no ethical peep consumption under capitalism. So no. Oh, oh my God. I can't hear this. Welcome, everyone, to American Girls, the podcast. This is the show where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. And I should say I'm not technically a vegetarian, so that question doesn't directly affect my life, but I am curious about it. I mean, I think because that TikTok audio is going around about one being a vegetarian, if someone says they have beef, we're all just thinking thoughts that we hadn't thought previously. It opens so many doors. And I, I did think back, like I genuinely I've told you this before, but when I was in religion class, when I was a kid, I genuinely was like, can vegetarians eat animal crackers? Like, this is a real question that I'm asking you. And nobody took it seriously. And I got in trouble for asking, but you know, I'm just wondering like the metaphorical value of naming something like, does that mean it's is symbolically true? Is that like a kind of truth that matters in its own way? Like, I don't know. I don't know, Allison. I mean, I guess I'm just at that point in the pandemic. I don't know. I think peeps are highly polarizing. I think we are going to get some feedback on that question. I think we're going to hear from people. Just to let people know what my current position is, I have uh, pretty much at the ready at my command. I Mm -hmm. know where they are at all times. I have two stuffed peeps that are for my pleasure. One is pink, one is blue. Wow. Um, I will probably be purchasing one of the bunnies this year when they go on sale at my consumer value store of choice. You need it. I mean, and now they make actual peeps that are dipped in chocolate. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And those are excellent. If no one's tried those, those are excellent. And I feel bad because as I told you before we sat down to record, I did ask Anna to buy me some jelly beans and she bought me jelly belly because that's all the store had. No. And I was like, this is too bougie for me. Like they'll come at you with like butter popcorn, like very fancy flavors to me, like true jelly beans are like, these are the flavors that are on offer pink red. Like, I don't like Anna was like, but what is, what flavor is pink? And I was like, don't ask, don't tell. I will. I hope to never know the answer to that question. I just know I enjoy it. The end. I think black is licorice. Black is licorice, and that's divisive. A lot of people don't like that. I love black licorice. I hate I licorice as candy, but I love black licorice jelly beans. Because no one, I mean, like as a nation, we're in crisis. No one yes. really understands what's happening with jelly beans. Here's the thing. My gift to everyone who listens to this show, if you haven't turned it off already, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you purchase a bunny-shaped peep, you're making an investment in your own future. And I'm going to explain why. Wow. There are a few things better for a s'more. Like, <gasps> Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you need to think about the aerodynamics. You need to think about fit. Right. The bunny peep is a flat, 
structure, flatter structure. She or he or they fit perfectly within the context of this more. But here's why it's an investment in like your own rebirth and your recreation around the springtime. When you do a s'more in the microwave, you're saying to yourself, I believe in an eternal summer. Oh my God. I'm just telling you that's like, so so not, I mean, I know cool for the summer is about something else, but in a way it's like, you're doing your own cosplay of that, but it's sort of just like my summer is eternal. It's like hot for the peep is my. (laughs) Did you know that Jamie Foxx's first album is called peep this? Do you think it was actually about peeps? I don't. (laughs) Okay, just checking in with you on that. Thank you. I do know that there was a point in the pandemic when there was, I'll say, concern from my corner of the internet that peep factories were not able to supply perhaps what we need. And this was a joke. And it's not a joke. It's not. It's Listen, on a serious note, it's like we're over a year into this pandemic as of this recording And I really think anything you can do to take care of yourself and be kind to yourself is absolutely worth it. No, and I think there is a tendency on certain social media platforms where it's like, let people enjoy things that are still relatively harmless and come for people about things where accountability is important. Yes. Um, On that note, I'm seeing a lot of social media posting about vaccine stations and where vaccines are being given and certain rewards for being vaccinated. And there's a lot of posting I actually saw earlier today about Krispy Kreme and people saying like, oh, if you come get a vaccine, like you can get a free Krispy Kreme donut. And a doctor came out and was like, don't try it. Yes, it's important we all get vaccines, but don't incentivize donuts. And I'm like, honestly, if you attempt for one second to bring fat shaming into vaccination, I will lose it. Like I am, I am not playing games with this. Like, I don't know who did this, but stop cease and desist. If you see this kind of stuff happening, please call it out. Like absolutely no one needs to be body shamed on top of everything else this past year has brought. Like if you want to give me a donut when I get my vaccine, like I may like, I guess it's not safe enough to hug people yet, but like I would want to do that. Yeah. I understand that completely. I also think within the medical establishment, it's like, let's maybe be honest about the ways in which racism, misogyny, and white supremacy formed your professional culture before we start coming for donuts. Yeah. Oops. Truly can Allison, we've come here today not only to really dispel some myths about the history of medicine, donuts, vaccines, and peeps, who knew we were going to cover so much ground so soon, but we've also come together to talk about a book that's actually of the AG universe, and it was inspired by our listeners. So thank you to the listeners who posted about this book. But we saw a couple of listeners post that they were in maybe a fit of nostalgia or just like true standing, rereading the classic children's series, Amelia's Notebook. Yes. And unbeknownst to us, excerpts from Amelia's Notebook were printed in the American Girl magazine for several years. Um, It's now no longer under the imprint of American Girl. It's still in publication. But we wanted to actually just press pause for a second and still do something American Girl related before we transition to the next series of books. So today we're going to be talking about Amelia's Notebook. Yes, Amelia's Notebook came out in 1995, which is still pretty kind of squarely like right when we were getting into the brand. Um, So the first of all of the Amelia series is the one that we chose to read for today. And it came out in like a pretty or not like a small press, but it came out 
um, really kind of became huge, particularly with American Girl republishing the book just a few years later in 1999. It has since been translated into four other languages. It has a global presence. And if you're having a hard time kind of picturing what this looks like, you might want to look up Amelia's Notebook, but it's one of those classic covers that features a black and white speckled composition notebook. And it is supposed to look like a young girl has taken to what we would think of as like bullet journaling to tell a story from her life. Yes. So she's with text and images, sort of drawing herself, her friends, her sister, and also writing illustrative text, taking you through Um, a transition in her life. So the first book in this series follows her, what I'm guessing is a cross-country move. It's like 3,500 miles or something like that. takes three days. And her both missing her best friend back at home, Nadia, and also adjusting to her new school and her new life with her mom and her sister, Cleo. The author, and it's kind of funny the way this is presented, even on the cover of the book, is it's Amelia's notebook, like with some of it by Marissa Moss. And Marissa Moss is really kind of the genius behind these stories. And prior to doing this, she wrote other girl stories in the format of a historical journal or a kind of diary format. And you can see her kind of being... I don't want to say like a genesis, but like very similar origins to something like the Dear America stories. Like she wrote books called Rachel's Journal, the story of a pioneer girl, Emma's Journal, the story of a colonial girl. So very interested in kind of telling young people's stories and specifically young women's stories as if from their perspective. And what's kind of like so, I think, distinctive and iconic about these is they're really they're really colorful drawings and they're all over the place. And the reading process forces you not to just read the text, which is done as a kind of handwriting, but to look at the drawings that cover every single page. Yeah. So in a way it's like, it encourages this kind of chaotic nonlinear reading because you go to the first page and think that's where the book begins when actually it starts in the first like literal sheet of the book in the kind of frontispiece and the page with the copyright notice where Amelia writes her own name in next to the author's name. So you kind of get this like dual, this playfulness around the fact that it's a fictional character, but who is such a strong voice that it's literally battling the author's name itself, which is kind of like an interesting way to start the book. Allison, I need to ask, because this is sort of kept as a diary. Did you keep a diary? Yes. Do you still have it? It is destroyed. What? All of it's gone? Yes, correct. (laughs) Why? You were just like, I can't. The archive, like as a historian, you were like, I know the value of the archive, so this must go. So I don't have a ton in common with Harry Truman, but the the writing is the catharsis, and then I don't need to see it again. Yeah. I will occasionally write prose or I will write lines of something in a draft in my Gmail, and then I will just delete it. I don't have, like, we literally do this whole thing where we review people's writing and we dissect it and we think about it from a retrospective. I write certain things for the purpose of a moment and then they are gone. Well, I think that's like an important act of writing is just kind of processing something. And it's not about going back and like rereading is different than reading. 
And, you know, maybe if you're writing it, it's not because you have any intention of reading it. It's just the act of getting it out. I think that's actually like a therapeutic, recognized therapeutic practice. I've certainly done that. And of course, there's that apocryphal story that Abraham Lincoln said, like when you're mad at someone, write them a letter and then put it in your desk drawer and keep it there, like never send it, which, you know, is like good Gmail behavior, like, (laughs) I guess, too. Um, yeah, I don't remember keeping, I kept diaries like very infrequently. And I think, as I've said before, I frequently lied in my diary entries because I thought my own life was boring. So I would say like today I climbed Everest and my mom, then I would get like bored of it or embarrassed. I would throw it in the trash and my mom like saved a few pieces of it. So I know there are some pieces of a childhood diary somewhere, but that's about it. Rachel Bloom's book, which came out in 2020, I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are, features actual scans of not just writing she did for a high school paper, but also parts from her diary, which I have to say, I just could never. I think it serves like a really interesting purpose. You see her handwriting and you see her both like censoring herself, but then also like changing what she thinks about something or yeah. Who she imagines reading it, which is different. I think th- I'm always fascinated by people who have this incredible personal archive of their experience. And in some ways I'm jealous because it would be cool to revisit different moments in my life. But at the same time, I also don't think I would enjoy revisiting like huge spans of time in my life that were difficult, like for health reasons or whatever else. But I know that we're both watching thing, watching something that speaks to this theme I'll say briefly, I'm watching something you haven't seen yet, which is Kid 90, and I'm not done with it yet, but it's based on an incredible cache of diaries and videotapes that Soleil Moon Fry kept in the 90s. It is pretty dark, so if you're not in a pandemic place where you can see things that are dark, I might wait on that, but it is very interesting. But we're also watching something that's very fun that's based on someone who herself asked that her most personal writings be destroyed. Thankfully for us, they weren't. And that's Emily Dickinson. We're both finally watching Dickinson after many, many listeners have told us that we would love it and surprise, we love it. Yeah, it's a very funny, quirky, and I think kind of like a reverent take on Emily Dickinson. I don't think I would have actually wanted to spend much time with the real Emily. And I think in some ways, like her dedication to some of the baking would have really gone over the top for me pretty quickly. And I I do think like her story raises so many ethical questions of like, there are people who have written diaries for the exact purpose of knowing other people will read them. Mm -hmm. Um, A person I am the ninth great granddaughter of wrote a very kind of self-serving final letter that was written to his descendants, but really was written like for the world to kind of clarify who he thought he was, right? So like these things have multiple purposes. In my case, if I wrote something and then shoved it away, I really don't want people reading it. But I think there's that intrigue of the people who do like to revise and review. And I think Amelia of Amelia's Notebook would fall under this. They don't destroy. They might hide or conceal, but they don't actually destroy Mm. it. I Amy March myself right into the fire. (laughs) Which is interesting you say that because Marmy or Louisa Malcott's actual mother um, asked that all of her papers be burned or destroyed upon her death. And they honored those wishes, which makes it that much more difficult to do research. But that would have been your tact, like burn it all. It's gone. Like truly like inbox zero, permanently zero. It's over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I also, I'm so impressed by this book and I'm so impressed by people who draw and create in a very certain kind of way because I don't have that impulse. Like I have found even sort of like childhood art and it's, it's pretty weak. It's not great. And I see the value of it as like, I was a child and I created this and I was loved. So it was saved. Beyond that, you know, I don't, there's not a ton of merit there. In your personal archive? Yeah. Like my childhood oeuvre. Like Amelia, with the way that she's keeping this notebook, she's going for it. She is. And what's really interesting is that you kind of have to wonder, like, who are we supposed to imagine the audience for Amelia's notebook is to Amelia? Mm -hmm. And it seems like throughout this book, there's a lot of playful, funny parts where she writes... And something I really like about this character and the way that she's created is that it sort of reminds me of like Ramona, where it's not like an angel child or a kid who has like the best impulses, is holier than thou, and is like super manners conscious and polite. In fact, like Amelia says some really rude stuff about her sister and draws some sort of rude drawings about of her and, you know, is complaining a lot and just kind of like it feels very real to me. And then there's moments where there's a moment in the notebook where Cleo finds the notebook and reads everything Amelia's written about her. And she's upset about it. But then Amelia responds by just drawing all these like keep out, like, I don't care if you see this kind of stuff. So I really loved her kind of vibe and her attitude, but it did make me think like, okay, is no one supposed to read this notebook? Because then later she writes down all these stories or maybe it seems like a place to kind of write a rough draft of them, of some stories to send to her friend Nadia to be entered into like essentially a storytelling competition. Um, So it, it does seem like almost a commonplace. It's like a diary, but it's sort of a commonplace book. And it's also like a space to kind of jot down her ideas. So this entire journal, which is is summarized pretty succinctly as um, something that she's given by her mother for her ninth birthday, and it's a place to share her true feelings. But this entire journal has the energy of when you would put up an away message <laughs> like, can't talk, leave it. Sorry, I'm not at home right now. I'm something in my spider web, leave a message and I'll call you back. An epic no doubt so, like, moment. She- She's very interested in calling attention to the ways in which she does not want people to pay attention to what she's experiencing. Wow. Yeah. It is like, oh my God, you're taking me like such a mental journey with that away message reference. Like I have never been as passive aggressive in my life as I've been when I've crafted away messages. But don't you think, so number one, I want to say like part of what this book book brought back to me was like a certain way of communicating from being a child at the same time that Amelia was a fictional child, but also the way that away messages actually taught you something about a boundary, like that you were not available and that there were creative ways and a variety of ways to say to people like, I'm not open to discussion right now. Mm-hmm. And now you can have your phone off do not disturb and truly be bothered by something at any hour of the day whereas in a way message like it could be passive aggressive but it also could be a clear communication of like why you were not talking to someone yeah and it's kind of like we've flipped that dynamic now because as you're saying in the past like in the glory days of AOL and whatnot and AIM oh my god I loved AIM 
you were the person who made it sort of like your best defense is a strong offense. Like you would put up an away <laughs> message that's like, don't even try it. Like, do not. No. Here's a vanilla ice quote that doesn't really make sense with the attitude I've just shown. But like, trust me, do not even if you must leave me a message, you can. But like, please do not contact me. And people would have to make that they could try to contact you, but they weren't really getting through. Now, as you're saying, like, unless you have your phone, like super locked down, you can have notifications or people entering your boundary just to even tell you that, you know, what the weather is today or like the latest news headline that you don't really care about. So it is like so invasive in a way that is is on us to contain. Yeah, I think Amelia would not be on Do Not Disturb. I think Amelia would have all of her push notifications on. I think she's someone who craves contact, like wants to be in touch with people. Like part of the persona of Amelia, we can talk a bit about like different things that happened to her that she covers in the course of the journal. I would say she's she's kind of a slightly less caustic Harry spy. Like she's very curious about people. She is a little bit nosy and she does kind of document the way that people around her seem to be or like seem to exist. But I think in our, you know, last year rewatch of Harriet the Spy and, and some of our discussion around those kinds of things, there is like kind of a meanness to the way that she would summarize people. And Amelia is maybe a little bit more innocent. Like, I think Amelia is more the fit for the American girl world of the mid-1990s because there is a kind of innocence that plays out. Like, Amelia is struggling. She has been forced to move. It's her birthday. She's not happy with being in a new house or, or being with her family. And core to the story is like missing a best friend like all things that are really super relatable to lots of young people because the through line is amelia has lost control of her life which you feel all the time when you're a child to varying degrees and her mom is sort of like here's a notebook go do something with it And I think what's cool looking back is like you're given a lot of tools as a kid, hopefully, to express yourself. And some of them stick and some of them don't. Like you get art lessons or music lessons and you kind of have to figure out, well, which of these things actually works for me? Like I played music for 13, 14 years, never felt like it was a way to express myself, Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean it was bad, but it wasn't that for me. My nephews started playing music, like playing around with it when they were three, and it already is a way that they express themselves. Like you don't know. Right. But that's an important basic lesson, which is like you can be really talented at something that has no meaning for you, or it is not an interest that you seek out potentially in free time. And I think you're pointing also to like a bigger expectation or act of childhood, which is certainly shaped by privilege, the scale to which you can do this. But it's about like writing your own story, like figuring yourself out. Who am I? What am I interested in? And now it seems like so many kids are pushed into activities as like status symbols. Like, of course, you're going to play soccer or you're going to do dance classes. But, you know, at least when I was growing up and I'm not 100 years old, like, and I think it's still like this for many kids now, you know, my parents would sort of say, like, do you like doing this? Like, do you want to try this? And the minute we stopped enjoying it, like if we had made a commitment, we would have to stay on the team for the season or whatever. I really love sports, but my older brother didn't, but we could pick and choose what we were interested in. It was interesting to see like the interest we would pick up and then drop and then adopt something completely different. And I sort of think the notebook is a really interesting framework for, to see Amelia sort of try to do that. And I do think she is Mm -hmm. more likable than Harriet the Spy too, because she's not malicious. (laughs) 
like even when there's a heartbreaking moment in this book where you figure out her best friend that she's left behind and her birthday are a week apart and this mm-hmm. friend has had a really cool birthday party and of course you can picture amelia there if she was still living in that area and instead the friend has sent her a gift bag from the birthday party and said like i would send you cake but like obviously that doesn't ship well and instead of saying like she she cries she tells you that she cries cuz she's so sad and misses her friend but she also says like wasn't that so great of nadia to do that for me and that's just such an endearing like reflection that even when she's sad she's also like and i i'm so happy i have this great friend i think part of why these things are like either really valuable to people to keep or very hard to keep is basically amelia is like self soothing into her adolescence like she's given a tool and it like helps her to work things out on the page again I'm not very good at drawing but I think part of the allure for me when I when I was younger reading these and even now is it's impressive to see like how many colored pens and like how much she puts into all of the visuals like she doesn't just say I hate it here she puts a big highlighted (laughs) block around it and draws all these things um And she also puts uh, like a visual that there's there's like there's this sadness, right? Like she's left behind her bedroom and she draws the sign that her sister Cleo had put on the door. Um, Something that you could also never convey with just a conventional typesetting. She that the writing is the text is in handwriting. Nothing all caps can make me feel better. And there's like this kind of chaos. Page one. It's like, okay, here we go, Amelia. I'm nervous. I'm nervous, but I also just love her energy. Like, I really do love the pages where Cleo has been, like, caught reading her notebook. And she just says, serves her yes. right. She shouldn't read my private business. Instead of apologizing for, like, pretty rude stuff she said. She's like, well, that serves you right. And then writes, special fingerprint paper. Your prints are being recorded right now. And it's like, I love this sort of like sibling on sibling mind game of like, I'm recording, (laughs) like I, you are under my surveillance. If you touch my stuff, I will know about it, which for anyone who has siblings, I feel like everyone has had that kind of moment where you kind of have to navigate the feeling of like, what is a shared object and what is not and like privacy. And she goes from sharing a room to having her own room. And that's a big transition. And I don't know, there was something about that that resonated with me where it's sort of like, I hated it when I thought my brothers were like in my stuff. I never took it to a place of inventing a fake fingerprinting technology, but you know, maybe I should have thought about it. We had neighbors growing up who had a trampoline and we did not, and we were dying to go on the trampoline and they basically were on it for like the first week they had it. And then they lost interest. So we would always be like, Hey, like, can we get on the trampoline? What's up? And they just were like, absolutely not wanting us on the trampoline. So to keep us off, they were like, just so you know, we have a camcorder that's on that trampoline 24 seven. And I totally believe this. I was like 10. I was like, Oh my God, they have a video camera on that trampoline 24 seven. And looking back now, I'm like, that's psychotic. Like they absolutely did not, but it worked on me. I mean, like that's elf on the shelf. That's the surveillance state. Like looking back at you, I will say I, you know, I am the problematic sister in like a story I could tell about my family. Like I taped my sister while she was on the phone. I recognize that that's not okay. I do. I know that that's wrong. I would put my toy microphone underneath her door and I would report to my parents. Like I fully recognize that that is not okay. I would love to tell a charming story about myself of like, 
me with my Fisher Price device and like drawing a line between that and being a podcaster now. And it's like, honestly, I was just like a little bit annoying. I think of you all the time because I saw that Fisher Price is like, has this new like vintage toy line. And that's one of the ones they brought back is that recorder. And I was like, wow, I should buy this for Allison. Like who knows what kind of crimes you'd be solving now. I will say probably 10 years ago, we found one of the tapes that had been in there. And it was just like random audio of people talking. And I was like, turn it off, turn it off. Like that's so embarrassing because now I'm an adult and I understand that's not appropriate. And like it was behavior that was not encouraged. You know, it was like, okay, you can't be Were you like doing historical reenactments as J. Edgar Hoover? You were just like, this is me. I was, I was my own brand. Um, I also like, so my sister and I shared much like, you know, Cleo and Amelia, there was a wall between our bedrooms and I would just straight up put my ear to the wall. Wow. I don't have a problem, but I think, I mean, I think I'm not uncommon. I thought my sister was the coolest person in the entire world and we're close to 10 years apart. So for me, it was like her life is so adult and so interesting and we were so far apart. It was like, I got to get in there somehow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think everyone can relate to that in some way. Like I remember having the landline, like everyone using the home phone that you would always try to like, I remember my brothers picking up at the same time I would, and it would be my friend and it would be like the most innocuous conversation, but they would not hang up. And I would be like, hang up the phone. And they'd be like, Oh, I hung up. No, no, no. I hung up. And I'd be like, I didn't hear the click you hang up that phone. And then I'd be trying to like stretch my entire body so I could hold one hand on the phone that was like on a cord to the wall and like see into the other room so I could see if they'd actually hung up the phone. It was so stressful for absolutely no reason, but it's like phones coming into our lives. Like the landline people now will never understand kids now. I mean, my poor grandmother, but when we would go to Fluffy's house, we would sneak. If when my mom was talking to her, we would sneak into her bedroom and prank call people on her landline, like just invent numbers, call people, say crazy stuff. And they would, sometimes we forgot about like when star 69 happened, we were like, uh Oh, cause people then called back. And my grandmother was like, what the hell? Like, who is, why are you yelling at me? I didn't call you. And like, like, so going so extra, like so offended. And they would say like some reference and my grandmother would be like, Oh my God, what do you mean? They mentioned I never mentioned Ninja Turtles. And then she'd be like, no. And then she'd be like, I'm terribly sorry. And then we would hear her coming down the hall. We'd be like, no, like, like literally jump out the window, do anything, get out of here. I never should have been trusted with a phone. That's what I want to say. Well, I think the difference between that kind of shenanigan and like a fully like digital world shenanigan of like 20 teens and beyond is like you could be causing similar havoc on reddit but it's gonna live on the internet forever that's the thing is like most of the stuff that we did that was stupid it's gone like your tape you could throw that out the evidence is gone like of you recording your sister your diaries have all been destroyed like kids say even now like my aim embarrassing away message i can't even remember what they were they're gone. Like all of that stuff, the internet sort of remembers forever, but then sometimes doesn't remember like MySpace just deleted like 15 million songs or something. So if you were wow. a teenage musician who had your stuff up there, like it might not be there. All of Vine was taken away, even though they said they were going to maintain that. So it's weird, but I think you're right that these kind of trails last now much longer. And I don't know if that's necessarily fair. 
How do you think that would change like for young people today? Because I could see like a, a major resurgence of something like an Amelia's Notebook as a result of the pandemic, right? Because as part of this, they not only included snippets from this in the American Girl magazine, they also marketed her guide to gossip. She had all these other kind of like different books to help you, but you could also make my notebook. And right. it was kind of like a framework set out by Amelia. Like, do you think that's going to get more popular? For kids or for adults or both? Frankly, I think if you released, if you re-released an Amelia's notebook tomorrow for people trying to cope with the pandemic, that's a free billion dollar idea. I think so. And I think like I've been reading a lot that people have who have not kept journals or diaries have been doing it in the past year, because I think even people who aren't curious about history or interested know that they're living through what just even for their own personal history would be a really significant period of time. And in fact, the New York Historical Society is aggressively trying to collect any kind of ephemera around the pandemic at this point. So if you've been keeping a diary and you want to give it to the Historical Society, by all means, feel free. Um, so I do think that it would reach an audience now. Um, it's interesting. Like, I think there's kind of a mixed media piece to it too, that I know if you like watch TikTok at all, that, um, at least my TikTok shows me people who draw on iPads and stuff using procreate. So like, I think people are using different means that Amelia might recognize to do similar work. Um, I don't know. I do think it's happening. I think before this, people who are adults who did bullet journaling, it's so oriented around productivity. And this is a time when you purposely can't be overly productive, or at least you shouldn't be. So I do think that's an interesting juxtaposition, but I, I think it, I think it would be successful. Do you ever draw in something that you're keeping like to help as a shorthand or as something fun? I do, Allison. As you know, I went on a tear where I was like taking all these online classes at one point, art classes. So I grew up loving to draw and to paint. And I would sit in the back of my religion class where I'm making it sound like I was badly behaved all the time, which is not true. But I like to draw the religious paintings that were in our textbook. And then I would give them to my grandma fluffy who as like a, like, this is what I did at school today kind of thing. And I would come back to her house the next time and it would be framed on her wall. And in fact, like there was an entire wall of her family room that was literally drawing as I had done on notebook paper it was very sweet. And I really loved drawing and I got away from it because it wasn't like part of, you know, it didn't seem productive, I guess I'm part of the problem. And so actually this time period has brought me back to making art and doing things. I made you paper dolls for your birthday last year of us in different time periods. And like, that was sort of like actually a point where I was like getting back into drawing. I don't really care if I'm good or not. I just enjoy doing it. So I took a class that was about like basically doing what Amelia's notebook is for adults on Skillshare. I think that's where I took it. And, um, it was fun and it was cool. So I'm trying to do that, but you know, sometimes life gets in the way, but I am enjoying it. It's cool. I think what's cool about Amelia is the way that these books are presented. It's very attainable or like very achievable level drawing, like the way that the car is drawn as basically like a you know, like a, a little plateau yeah. line with some wheels. That's how I would draw a car. Um, and even like just like the very basic sketch, Amelia herself, if you don't remember, has a Liza Minnelli vibe with like very thick 
Yes. Eyelashes and just like very sharp features. And all of like her two friends that are pretty central, her sister and her parents who really kind of fade out of the story. Like they are cartoons. Yeah. Speaking of the queer culture of it all, it's interesting you made that reference. Um, When I was reading these books and I read a couple of them because I should say Anna had a bunch of these growing up. And actually, thanks to Anna, she had um, some Amelia's notebooks, excerpts that were in the American Girl magazine that she tore out and kept in her personal archive is way more orderly and vast than anything I have saved in my life. So thank you, Anna, for that. Um, and I'll share, we'll share some of those in a few minutes. They're amazing. But I was actually thinking about in the queer culture of it all, like where does Amelia go when she grows up? And to me, I think she grows up to be like an Alison Bechdel character, like someone whose art progresses, but also the ideas that are driving it also progress in terms of like how she's processing her life and the ideas that matter to her. If you've read, a lot of people know Fun Home, but there's another book that she wrote in which she's using different um, schools of psychology and psychiatry to process like, like straight up theory to process her relationship with her own mother. And if that sounds intense to you, like it absolutely is, but it's super, super smart. And I found it really fascinating. So if you liked Fun Home, I would definitely check out that book. But it does seem like Amelia is going to grow up to be someone who doesn't grow out of drawing, who doesn't see that as like not productive or not academic, but continues to see it as like a really personal language of her selfhood, but also like processing external influences. So you know, I, I I like to imagine that future for Amelia. I think there's also a path where she's Alina Dunham. <laughs> like, I think we don't know oh, how no. rich her parents are, but like this move felt pretty like comfortably bankrolled. <laughs> and knowing that she comes from like a certain community of artistic people, I think like looking at the page where she just draws like 20 different noses. Yeah. I think that also has Alina Dunham vibe. That was upsetting to you. Yes. Um, okay. I want to pull one that I didn't. So I scanned a bunch of the ones that were in that, the um, magazine that Anna saved to share with you. But um, I realized after I scanned them, I read one that was, I scanned and sent you some before I started reading. And so I happened on one that was like super intense. So I need to read you an excerpt of it because I just think it will speak to like whether this is Lena Dunham or Allison Bechdel or like who we're dealing with here. Okay. <clears throat> This one's called Amelia's Family Ties. And you see there's a drawing of her. Hold on. There's a drawing of her where she's literally tied up with rope. Yeah. Okay. And then under here, do you see that there's like three dads? Yes. I do feel like a Rorschach is being administered on me, but I'm paying attention. She is bound up and there are three three dads. dads. And this is... And this is called Amelia's Family Ties. And under the three dads, we see laughs too loud, jokey dad, who says... Did you hear the one about the banana? Ha ha. Then the middle one is working all the time. Business guy, dad. Not now, honey. I'm busy. And then lecturing when I was your age, dad, we had to walk 20 miles to school in the snow. Okay. So you're like, okay, I guess this is going to be about her relationship with your dad. You are not prepared for this story, Allison. I'm just going to say that listeners buckle up. We're not ready for this. This is a kid's book. Okay. I mean, it's in the American girl magazine, but like, whatever we open on a letter Okay. Written on blue paper. It's typed. It's from an adult. It's from her dad. So above it, she has written, I'm reading this whole thing because it like shocked me. Okay. I just need your response. She writes, this is the only thing I've ever gotten from my dad other than my name. I think my mom says it was his idea to call me Amelia. Then we get the letter. Dear Amelia, 
I've written this letter a dozen times trying to think of the right thing to say, but I'm afraid there's no good excuse for not wanting to write you earlier. I meant to get a divorce from your mother, not from you and your sister, but I'm a journalist and I began working in Japan after the divorce. I was there for 10 years. From that distance, it seemed too difficult to stay in contact with a toddler, Cleo, and a baby, you. Now I'm back in the United States, in Chicago. I'm remarried and have a new family. Your baby brother, George, is six months old. You have every reason to be angry with me, but now that you found me, I'd like to stay found. I'd like to be a part of your life if you want to be a part of mine too. I hope you'll come spend a week with me this summer. You'll get to know me, my wife, Clara, and your half-brother. I've already talked to your mother and she's agreed you can come think about it. I hope you decide to find out who your father really is. And then it just says dad doesn't even say love dad. This is so fraught. And then like spoiler alert, she goes to Chicago and they're like, she does a lot of free babysitting. And then there's like a very intense dinner with her dad where he's like, I just couldn't be around your mom. So like that was that, but that was wrong. And he was like, yes, I did come up with your name. I thought you looked like an adventurer. So I named you after Amelia Earhart complicated. And then he's like, you know, I, I loved you the moment I saw you. And she was like important, but there is something in this story that I think a lot of good children's literature does, which is like, it signals like good behavior in kids, like good behaviors to adopt. So like this dad has not by his own admission been dad of the year. And she's out at this dinner with him and it's fancy and she's like, not feeling great about what he's been saying. Like she feels like there's this gulf between them um, and previous to this, she was babysitting her half brother, George, and he was crying and she couldn't figure out what was going on. And then he grabbed her sock and stopped crying. And she was like, well, I don't really know how that solved it, but like, okay. So she says, quote, then I remembered how I felt when I was trying to cheer up George, how can I help him if he couldn't tell me what was wrong and how could dad know what I needed if I didn't tell him? So finally, like she ends up asking like, why did you leave? And they have like a good conversation about it. But I thought that was actually like instructive in a way for kids reading that to sort of be like, no one's a mind reader. If you're upset, you should tell someone like have some good communication. I feel like Eminem saw that in a waiting room somewhere. And that's where Stan comes from. I listen. And he was like, dun, 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 dun. You know that I don't listen to a lot of music. Full stop. You're not a music person. No. I listen to Stan at least once a week. What? Are you serious? I'm very serious. Wow. I think it's a very interesting piece. Very troubled piece. Very interesting piece. So, Wow. What's going Wait, no, you can't move on from that. What's going on with you? Scale of one to 10, how worried do I have to be about you? And are you identifying with Eminem these days no. or Stan? Dido. Where are we at? Oh, Dido. Okay. All right. That's fine. Thank you. I just think it's fascinating. And also there's been sort of a reckoning and conversation about content and Eminem songs happening online. But I think part of I listened to that song and it's like, this was just on the radio. This was just, this was just out here. I think what's so appealing to people now, like who are finding these old magazines, who are finding stuff like Amelia's Notebook, like maybe we're right or wrong to be surprised, but what you're saying, like the emotional maturity that is displayed by Amelia, like she Mm -hmm. has a moment actually in the Notebook book where she draws her friend and her friend doesn't like the likeness which is what actually inspires the drawing of all of the noses but they have this very mature moment where 
on the one hand, she's still mourning this other friend that she doesn't get to be with very much. And she has this new friend that she's trying to impress and and develop this relationship with. And this moment of like, oh, you see me a way that I didn't think you did. And like the drawing brings these things up, but they have a conversation about it. And Amelia tries to understand versus just saying like, well, you know, I don't, I don't need her. I don't need that opinion. Like she is trying to navigate the complexity of being part of of a mixed family in that story mm-hmm. of being part of a blended family, I should say, where his dad is kind of like, yeah, I kind of like, I, I did some bads. <laughs> yeah. Big time. And I think what's nice about the story too, is that by no means at the end of the story, does she say like, okay, I'm all better. Like this is over. I'm past it. It's like, no, she's still upset and she's still sad and she still doesn't understand a lot of things. And I think she feels proud of herself that in that moment, she gave herself permission to ask her dad or really to her really vital question, like, where were you? Why did you leave? And I think she kind of has a moment of just kind of celebration or just affirmation, like, okay, I did that. And I feel better because I did that. And yes, the dad says like, I loved you the moment I saw you. And she kind of celebrates that moment too, that her dad says he loves her indirectly. And she's been missed. She didn't realize she was missing that, but it's sort of like, I think that's a real moment because it kind of portends like issues that are going to keep rippling up about that in the future and how it's not resolved. But it, it did feel real in that moment. Yeah, I think, you know, there's been a lot of conversation around the new American Girl doll, right? And the question of the fact that she has relatives who are women who are married to each other, right? Like she has great aunts who are lesbians who are married to each other. And it's so missing, like so many of the different things that have played out across the brand where like it was really teaching like young people to be curious to be informed about their life, but also realities. Like people do leave their families sometimes, right? Like they start other families or like there's trauma, there's moves. Like Amelia has to leave the place that she loves and she kind of loses the relationship she'd had with her best friend. She's also very funny, like her sister. I have some Cleo vibes. Cleo at every single restaurant will only order a cheeseburger. And like I went through that decade as well. And Amelia basically says, you're going to turn into a cheeseburger. And she says, I know. That was iconic. I love that. Like there's, there's also like a funny, so folks who want it, we will link to it. You can access the Amelia website through a historic gateway to the old American Girl website from the early 2000s. And I feel like, you know, a portent of things to come. One of the things Amelia offers is a read your room quiz. Wow. Name an American who doesn't need this now. Yeah. Yeah. True. Can I tell you what's on this website? I'm ready. Okay. So you can take an Amelia quiz, which I am going to subject you to. Um, Okay. Great. You can learn school survival tips. There's videos. Um, You can do different like drawing tools. There's a magic washing machine. There's email by Amelia. It's like very colorfully and beautifully illustrated all by um, Marissa Moss. And there's also just like a silly little address book you can add. There's something kind of different about this moment of the internet. Like, I feel like I could build this website, which is kind of empowering, even though back then I know it was very complicated. Something that I think does not happen in 
like people have been commenting on the way that like global brands are all simplifying their logos so much that they basically look the same and actually make it hard for visually impaired people to differentiate them. But like within the American Girl website, there were these different portals. Like there was the collection, which is most of the stuff we talk about. Coconut, the dog, had their own portal. There was eCard Central, which I hit up for sure. All the time. Yes. And Girls of Many Lands also have their own space. But Amelia's desktop is actually set up like a very basic like word processor. And where it says edit. uh, So there's like file, there's edit. Under edit, there's cut, copy, paste. But it says cut it out, copy cat and paste the pasta, (laughs) which is like very silly, but also kind of like. Uh, it's fun. It's a fun introduction to computing. And I am going to make you take this quiz now. Wow. All right. Are you prepared? Yes. Okay. For, first question. You're washing the dishes. This is like a personality oh, test. God. All right. You're washing the dishes and you break a dish. Do you throw the dish away and tell mom, tell your mom and ask her to throw away the dish. Blame it on your little sister or tell your mom an alien's face startled you and made you drop the dish. Hmm. Ideally, the option I want is throw the dish away and tell no one. But I will pin it on another sibling or an alien if I have to. Okay. I'm picking little sister. Thank you. You have a big test. Do you study hard? Go to bed early. No. Study and wake up early to study more. No. Stay up late studying because you have to finish the chapter. Yes. Okay. There's also glance at notes, but don't worry about it. That's not you. That's not my vibe. No. And I will say, if you are taking this quiz, it does take a second to load because we're accessing it through like three back channels. (gasps) Okay. So this personality quiz is a dead end. No. You don't. Oh my God. Is this some kind of existential like prank? Now I never, I'll never know who I am. I truly didn't know this. I wasn't prepared for this. I think much <laughs> like an American girl quiz, like. I love this. You are, you know. Wait, hold on. I might have a quiz for you, Allison. I didn't see that coming. You didn't see that coming. Are you, are you in an emotional space to to take a quiz right now. Yeah, for sure. So thanks to Anna's archive, I'm going analog so we don't have to worry about the Wayback Machine sending some of us into a personality spiral from which some of us may never recover. You know, I don't know how many days it is from Leo season, but like, I won't feel safe until we get there. Um, Okay. So this is the read your room quiz, not to be confused with the read the room quiz, which should be offered in all schools as we've said. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a series of questions with three multiple choice possible answers. Okay, under my bed are A, two slippers neatly lined up, B, board games and books artistically arranged, No. C, all the things I shoved under there when I had to clean my room. C. Yeah, I could have told you that one. In the closet are... A, clothes hung up in an orderly fashion. B, clothes and toys kind of organized. C, I'm not sure what's in there. You could find anything. I'm a B, C cuss, but I'm going to go with B. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that feels right. Okay. Three, on my desk are A, pens, pencils, a lamp, and plenty of space to work. B, Papers, pens, tissues, a lamp, and boxes of paper clips, rubber bands, and thumbtacks. 
Or C, I can't even see the top of my desk. There's so much stuff on it. I'm a B. I never let it get that cluttered because I also usually have like toys. You know what, Allison? Like I, as your best friend, I can't let the negative self-talk go further. <laughs> like you're not a B. Okay. <laughs> Please remember that. Okay. Question four on my bed is A, my favorite stuffed animal. B, a pile of stuffed animals. C, a heap of all kinds of junk, including a stuffed animal or two. It's a C for me. Still. Yeah. Still. Fair. Okay. <laughs> That's good self-awareness. <laughs> On the wall is A, a bulletin board. B, a poster or two. C, such a spread of posters. I'm not sure what color the wall is. A, I had uh, the same Renoir posters on my wall for a very long time. You're fancy, huh? Yes. With Renoir posters. But I I had like these like fabric uh, boards that I like had with them. Fair. So let's see. Extra credit questions. My dream room would have A, a skylight with a telescope, of course. B, a secret compartment behind the bookcase. C, my own vending machine full of junk food. That's not even a question. It's C. I knew that one. Could have told you. My favorite decoration is A, my collection of glass animals neatly dusted. B, the -the glow-in-the-dark stars on my ceiling. Talk about iconic. C, a lava lamp if I can ever find it. Oh, my God. I had all of those. You had a lava lamp? I had a lava lamp. It was given to me. Oh, my God. I had the glow in the dark stars and I have, I may have said this on this show before I put my glow in the dark stars, not just on the ceiling, but on the top of my canopy bed. So I would always have a few. Wow. It's iconic. That is iconic. Oh my God. Wow. So which is it? All of them, I guess. I'm going to go with the glow in the dark stars because that was most important to me the longest and lava lamps do eventually kind of fade out. I remember those were such a hot item, especially when like 60s nostalgia was was hopping with the 60s miniseries, as we've mentioned, a, a shared love of ours. But my mom was like, that's a fire hazard. It's it is. No. It certainly so, is. Yeah. Just saying. Um, I'm glad you're still here. The oldest thing in my room is A, the teddy bear I had when I was a baby, B, the handprint I made in kindergarten, C, the stale cherry was under my bed, D, a Dunkin' iced coffee I bought at 8 a.m. and I'm still nursing now late into the evening. I won't answer that. Um, wow. So I had old things in my room even when I was a child. And actually one of my favorite things was I had a framed photo of my brother and sister when they were like very young. And I loved that. It was in a very cute little frame. And that was one of my favorite things. So that was probably like the actual oldest. That's so cute. Okay. So the way that the scoring of this works is that it's like, if you got all mostly A's, this mostly B's, this, I'll just read those. So I think you got mostly B, C's. I don't know. So you'll see how we feel. If you chose mostly A's, you're incredibly neat and organized. I predict you'll come clean my room. Oh, wow. No. If you chose mostly bees, your room is cozy and inviting. I predict you'll always be able to find what you need when you need it. In some ways, it's like precursor cottage core is like how I read that personality evaluation, but that could just be me. That's a binary I reject, which is like, I know where things are. No one else does. That's in it. So in a way, it's like a security policy. 
It's like hiding in plain sight. Like, I know where every American Girl book I might need for this show is right now. Okay. I respect that. I always feel like I have a similar kind of system in my life. And I, I once read that someone was like, you'll know you'll have Alzheimer's if your car keys are like in the freezer or a place where they absolutely shouldn't be. And I, that filled me with terror because I'm like, I could do that now. Like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like my life is a bit chaotic. If you chose mostly C's, your room is a construction site. I predict only you will know how to get from the bed to the door without stubbing your toe on the stuff on the floor. Wow. That's okay though. You're okay with that. You don't feel attacked. I think there's, you know, much like Amelia brings like a certain kind of fun energy. I think there's a time and a place for that level of like frenetic excitement. And some people would say, but Allison, not in your sock drawer. Well, wrong. Dare agree to disagree, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I I have been asked not infrequently if I'm living in my car, which is another question that I reject. Sure. I mean, you haven't answered it, but I'll assume that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's a bit clever, but I don't know. Um, you are not living in your car. No, I can no, I am not. I am not. In a way, it's like you're just very prepared because yes. you you have a lot of materials in your car so that if you needed to, you know, you meet any range of circumstances, you're ready. It's like you're sort of MacGyver. You've, like, you've prepared in advance to MacGyver your way out of any situation. I'll be honest too. Like, I feel like if Amelia dropped down into my life, we would have a good time. I would know I was going to be put in the notebook and that would put me on guard a little bit. But I think like living in her analog, like funny time world, I wouldn't feel that nervous. It's not like I was like birthed to a professional blogger where I'd be nervous. Like, where is this going? That would, like, if I was being raised by an influencer who was like, by the way, like that little hijink you did earlier, can you do it again? I need a second take because the camera angle was off and I'm obviously going to be putting this on all my socials. Like, can you imagine a fate worse than that? I don't know. Like, that's, I don't know. I mean, Amelia is a second child, as am I. And I feel like that energy is in the book. It, It wasn't discussed because... You know, and I won't make this personal, but you were sort of raised like an oldest child. So like yes. the middle child piece, like it it doesn't like you don't bump up against that it doesn't land on you. Whereas for me, when she says when Cleo is in the kitchen with her friend, it was like they treated me like I was just a chair or a piece of furniture and they couldn't see me. I was like, this is a brand that I understand <laughs> and I'm here for it. But it's also a lot sometimes. But I think she'd be fun to hang out with. Yeah. And I'm kind of happy. So like the arc of the book is her trying to trying to adjust to a new place, but kind of discovering that she enjoys this notebook, right? That she's passionate about kind of like sharing things about herself and like learning about that and also learning along the way, like that other people could read it and that there are consequences. And she ends up just kind of happy. Like she's had some fun times with her friends and she learns that this is something she wants to keep doing. And I also love a smart sort of writer publisher moment. It's like, Amelia wants to keep going. Are you? Yeah, sure. And there's also a very relatable moment at the very end of the book. So it is, it is like a composition book. So the insides of the front and back cover have those like standard measurements and stuff that a composition book has. And in the very back, it's like table of time measure. And it's like 60 seconds equals one minute. And then it goes further down. It says 365 days equals one come near. And Amelia's written in there. This year is definitely not common. And it's like, Wow. This book is timeless. She knew. She knew. 
Wow. Well, she's a fortune teller, according to that quiz I just said. Apparently, there was something on the American Girl website where she told fortunes. So There is. I was actually able to get a screenshot of that, and I should be thanking the Internet Archive and not being upset for where it failed me, just briefly. Um, but as part of this, she offered words of wisdom. And the auto or like randomly generated one that I got earlier today was bad luck sign. The line you're in is always the slowest. And dear reader, I was trying to engage with a COVID vaccine website. That's all I'll say. That's kind of a dark ending. You know, I think it's dark, but I think it's also a reminder that like young people know more than we give them credit for. I do think this book is evidence that kids absorb a lot and they pick up a whole heck of a lot and, you know, don't underestimate them. No. And Amelia in her garb is dressed like she's ready to go to a farmer's market in Brooklyn. (laughs) Yeah. She would fit right in now. You know, she'd be very of the times. I think so. I would like to see, I would like to see, read one of the more recent ones to see kind of how the tone has changed, if at all. But, you know, if you're if you're listening to this and you have read one, please let us know about it because I am curious. Yeah. And I mean, know that we're we're continuing on the path. We're kind of at this turning point where we're still going to keep revisiting things that we loved when we were in the Amelia age and like the Amelia epic of literature. I think that's probably how future scholars will define the mid 1990s, like the Amelia notebook time. And we're also going to be kind of taking like a similar lens, but a different kind of appreciation to stories like Kaya's, right? Because we haven't, we haven't read that before. We haven't read all of the Kit series. We haven't read Caroline, but we still kind of understand the world that that came from. And Mm -hmm. you all kind of fill in those gaps for us too. Absolutely. So we're so excited of where we're going next. And we hope you're going to come along for the ride with us. We have already gotten some messages from folks who are looking for Kai's books and are getting ready. And we are too. And we're very excited for that. Absolutely. Mary, if people want to reach out to you, they want to talk to you more about Amelia or there's other content you want to tell us about that we should cover from the magazine. Where should they find you? Yes, I would love to talk about the magazine, all of it. Please find me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney and on Twitter at Mary Mahoney123. Now, Allison, if somebody would like to propose a diary entry for you to destroy, how might they reach you? <laughs> yes, so you will not find my childhood tapes at Allison Horrocks on Twitter and Instagram. We also love when you follow the show and you reach out to us there, American Girls Podcast or A Girls Pod on Twitter. Um, we really appreciate when you reach out to us. And we do have a link tree where we post things like our merchandise or other ways that you can support the show, such as our Patreon. So that is kind of an easy spot or on our website for American Girls podcast. That's right. So thank you so much for listening for all of you who continue to support our show and this really cool community. And we love hearing from you. So thanks for being in touch and we will see you on the next episode. (laughs) 